everybody. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Sam. And we are Two Basic White Girls. Woo! Okay, so <laughs> I feel like every time we introduce ourselves, this will be entertaining for us, Sam. Every time I get a little kick out of it as I speak in like a slightly very variable tone of voice. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do like my best basic impression. I think it's hilarious and wonderful. And hey, if it brings joy to your soul right now, that's what you got to do. Especially right? right now. Yes, especially, especially right, right, now. right now. So this is our second episode, which we're super pumped about. And today we're talking about a really um, interesting aspect of privilege, white privilege in particular. And what are we talking about, Sam? We're talking about privilege awakening. And I feel Ooh. like if we should probably get that term coined and like put in some sort of dictionary i know like at least urban dictionary like yeah. come on folks yeah whoever if somebody has connections to urban dictionary can up. we get privilege hit us up we're um on the privilege awakening bandwagon right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so for those that are like what in the hell the holy hell is privilege awakening how what wh- how would you define that my yeah, so so I th- I we have a working definition, and I feel like part of privilege awakening is being starting to be aware of your privilege. Of course, I think that's sort of a given, but trying to balance feeling overwhelmed with all of the content out there, with all of the feelings that you're having, with all of the resources out there and with what you should or shouldn't be doing right now, right? There's like so much going on. We're having all of these feelings. And so how do you balance out what you're learning and understanding versus what you're taking in terms of action steps? Yeah, absolutely. And then there's this like weird little bit where it's like, you think you were some woke white girl. And then like, all of a sudden you realize like, shit, man, you're not at I all. am not. Not, not at all. Not at all. Oh, okay, girl. Like, fuck, man, what am I going to do now? Um, and so there's like that panic that sets in of like, oh, my God, now I have 4,000 things I need to read and I need to do like 800 trainings and mm-hmm. I need to like both start yelling at people, but then like not yell at all. And I'm so confused and I'm yeah. really sad and I am really disappointed in myself and like all of these emotions, right? All the feelings, all the feelings at once. All which is which is very uncomfortable and also not a bad thing. No, not a bad thing. We encourage. I think sometimes people think that like being angry and sad and frustrated are bad, like negative emotions, right? So, yeah. what do you have to say to garbage like that, Sam? So often, what I'll say is is that all feelings are valid. It's the behavior that comes with it, right? So everyone has the right to be angry. But if I'm angry because someone cut me off on the freeway, I probably shouldn't go smash my car into them. That's that's fair. That's that's, that's fair. like the best the best explanation I can think of, right? Like it or like you know if someone if I'm like a third grader in the lunch line and someone cuts me in line, I have every right to feel super pissed off, but I probably shouldn't go punch them. Yep. But at the same time too, if you're like seeing what's happening in the world around you, becoming aware of all of the like systemic oppression and racism in the, in this world, like 
that's a good, healthy anger, right? Yeah. Like that's a good, healthy sadness too. Here's the thing. Like anger is one of our most basic emotions. This is an ongoing evolutionary emotion. We've had it since the start of time. What's not healthy is to suppress it. That's when we when start we suppress to suppress emotion. To me, when you suppress emotions, especially like anger, what we start to see is like these spurts of rage come out at inopportune moments. Or what you start to see is that deep depression set in and feeling unable to do anything because you're holding so much in, it's weighing you down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not good. It's not good at all. So that means we kind of have to start sitting with these really tricky emotions. Yeah, and, and I that think that's sort of like, and I think that's sort of, I would say the more and more we talk about our ideas for this podcast and like what we hope it brings, I think our goal is like to really use this space as a space to sit with those really uncomfortable emotions and learn that like part of living is being uncomfortable and sitting with that discomfort, even if maybe it doesn't feel so great. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it's scary to sit with all of those emotions. Like, yeah, I... I consider myself a pretty emotionally advanced person. Like I process my emotion. I recognize it. I don't bottle it up, like all those sorts of things. But like at the same time too, I'm also human. So like emotions sit in me physically. I, you know, we were talking even before we started recording, like mm -hmm. I've had a, a mild headache for the past two to three months. Like, I mean, these are things that we can't escape as human beings to have these emotions, even when you're really good at recognizing them and giving them voices and processing and all that stuff. I like it's that just, a lot. That's yeah, a good, I mean, it's hard. That's we're a human. good way to think about it. We're all human. And so, um, but in the context, so like, I feel like this past week, 10 days here in the US has been like a gigantic privilege awakening of sorts mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. many people. And I know that we, both of us have been having lots of conversations with white people about their awakening. So what has been some of the stuff that you're hearing from folks? Yeah, so I think... This week has been pretty overwhelming, right? Like there's a ton of content out there to take in and try and figure out. And and I think that's part of our white privilege, right? Let's jump into problem solving mode. Let's do some trainings. Let's like read up on things. And at the same time, these overwhelming feelings of like, what is happening right now? And what am I supposed to be feeling? How am I supposed to be feeling? What's okay to say? What's not okay to say? And I think... The, the conversations I've been having with people, there's a lot of feelings. There's rage, there's anger, there's frustration, there's sadness. There's also confusion. And then there is that feeling of I'm just overwhelmed by everything. And I have had these conversations with white people. I've had these conversations with black people. I've had conversations with people of color. You know, I think across the boat, everyone is dealing with this in their own way. And mm -hmm. something that struck me was I was starting to feel a little overwhelmed by like the sheer number of trainings and like recommendations of trainings. And I, it was like maybe the I'm in New York City and it was maybe like the third day of protests. And I started getting these emails of like, attend this training. And, and I was like, what are you going to train me on? Like how to protest? I There's only so much I could take in right now. So I think it's figuring out like, do we what? what happens if you feel like you can't jump into action in the moment or what happens if you're just trying to figure out like what you feel comfortable doing or not comfortable doing? Do I need to go to a training by a white person on racialized trauma? I'm not really sure. 
but I can tell you, I got like 50 emails about these trainings and they were overwhelming. And I'm hearing from colleagues, I'm hearing from friends, I'm hearing from clients that there's just so much content where really there's enough content just if you're watching what's happening or you're participating in the protest to digest that before you start taking on the learning and, mm-hmm. and reading. And I think there are some people who are already buying books, watching videos, watching movies, taking these recommendations in. But there are also people who are saying like, I'm bookmarking that because I can't deal with it right now. And it's not my place to judge either way, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. going to have to deal with this in their own way. And I think that's where I'm trying to find the balance right now. How do I become aware of every person falling along that continuum and being respectful of what they need right now? So I love what everything you're saying, um, because I think it's interesting to me from another a couple of vantage points. One, like, so you and I, we've actually, and our, and our friend and colleague, Carrie, we've been doing um, psychological first aid trainings for responders since April with um, yeah. COVID-19 and the global pandemic, right? And so yeah. um, we, and we've been, those have been really helpful, insightful. We've put, I think, about 150 people through our training uh, on six continents. Like, it's been great. Um, and then today we were supposed to have another training, which is scheduled every two weeks. Like, it's pretty, it's clockwork at this point. And yeah. we had one person show up, right? We had one person for a regularly scheduled training session. Where we and- have, like, thir- And I think what was strange was typically we've had like what, like 30 to 50 people on these training calls right Mm -hmm. at the start of the call, like raring to go. Raring to go. Yeah. Um, And um, and very engaged and like healthy dialogue and all of that sort of stuff. And then today for a regularly scheduled training that we've been doing for a while now, like one person comes. And that was like surprising to me in some ways, but also like not surprising because it it, spe- it speaks to this like overwhelming sense, like we're just all overwhelmed and like yeah. reaching a mental and emotional capacity and um, people are starting to like tune out and shut off a little bit. So I think what you're saying is like spot on that like people are starting, there's so many things out there right now as far as like that, like that need as white people to start fixing and addressing. So like- yeah this like overwhelming volume of things that we just started to like tune out in some ways. Yeah. Um, And I think that's also part of our white privilege, right? Like we have the, I think the argument is we have the opportunity to tune these things out and that's part of our white privilege. And I think you and I have talked about this a lot. That's true. And people are, I'm noticing, especially some of my clients, like shutting down from the abundance of information and just feeling overwhelmed with the current situations, the communities that they live in, things that are happening in their communities with looting, with homes being broken into, with attending protests and just being emotionally overwhelmed and not knowing how to process that. You know, I I do think people are shutting down a little bit and we want to keep the conversation going, keep the space open, even if we are feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, because and you and I were talking about this, right? Like, if you shut you, there's like two options. You either, uh, or three, I guess you either shut down and like fully turn off and like yeah. you're literally your mentally, you turn off your emotions, turn off your like body even can shut down. Yeah. You're like, you like lay on a bed and can't get out of the bed for a day or two, or you turn into like a rage volcano, right. Where mm-hmm. you just explode in like anger and fear and sadness out and like spray it all over the world around you. 
Or you could take like the third option of like understanding your needs, processing information, processing emotion, and like trying to prioritize self-care throughout this process to make it manageable over a long period of time, mm-hmm. right? Because this isn't going to go away. Like, I, and I think that's one of the things that I think a lot of people are worried about is like, we're going to have all of these protests and riots and, you know, change that we're demanding right now. And it's going to be a really good two, three weeks. And then suddenly people will get exhausted and like fully shut down. And then this conversation falls again to to the back burner. Mm-hmm. And we go back to like business as usual from a systemic oppression standpoint. And like, that's, that's a worst case scenario, right? Yeah. Like that's not what we want to do as far as like creating positive momentum and um, positive An ongoing change. change. Yeah. Ongoing change. And so like, I guess you and I are here to say like, okay, you're having a privilege awakening. That's wonderful. Let's figure out how do we collectively as white people, but then also as a global community, which includes black people, people of color, indigenous folks, like how do we actually care for ourselves through this Mm -hmm. overall like global awakening process and this transformation process so that we can see this become a sustainable movement and like collective movement where everyone Mm -hmm. really is pushing toward making this impact happen versus like just seeing it dwindle out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing that comes up for me as you say that is like, how do we find meaning and then turn that meaning into purpose? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think that everybody connects to the aspects of systemic oppression that we're seeing and, you know, these violent acts that are happening, everybody connects to them in slightly different ways or it latches on mm-hmm. to different aspects of all of it. And so there's lots of ways that pe- there are lots of different entry points right now, I guess is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. So let me ask you a question just for people who are maybe like still in their process of privilege awakening or not sure. Can you give like a five second urban dictionary-esque definition of systemic oppression or systemic racism, and maybe even both for people so that there's like a level of understanding of what we're talking about. So it's interesting. Like we've been, I've had like several conversations about what's the difference between white supremacy and white, um, white privilege and racism and all of this sort of stuff. And so um, if we take a step back and we start to kind of define these things, um, systemic like oppression, which would also be called white supremacy. Those are two like synonyms, right, for the same kind of concept: white um, supremacy and systemic oppression. Those are like the systematized ways in which we marginalize people through like social structures, and um, those are kinds of if you equate them to like the the gender equity movement, because I think that's been really easy entry point for people to understand this. Um, it's around like the gender pay gap, uh, the like those sorts of things are would be considered like systemic oppression, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, like unfair hiring practices, which flows for both gender equity as well as for, you know, the kind of racism that we're looking at here right now with what's happening. Um, so it's literally like those systemic structural pieces that contribute to an overall um, oppressive environment for uh, black, indigenous and people of color to navigate. And so. Um, that's everything from like, you know, prison systems to healthcare inequalities to um, housing and transportation, like all of those different systems, big and little ways that we like have basically ingrained um, bias within those systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you look then at like privilege, though, 
privileges all around, like our individual, um, the individual ways in which we navigate that system Mm -hmm. of supremacy and oppression. And so, um, you know, as a white woman, as a straight white woman who literally lives in the suburbs and is wearing leggings at present, like it is not possible for me to not benefit from white supremacy and our overall system of oppression because that system was built to make me succeed and, or to give me an advantage. You know, my skin color is not, does not detract from my ability to succeed in this world and in this system. And so, you know, my privilege revolves around like having access to quality education and, um, you know, being able to get paid better than my black or brown sisters, um, all different kinds of things. You know, it's um, how I'm able to, you know, kind of walk down the street and not have police attack me, you know, because I'm white woman. Yeah. Um, like all of those kinds of things um, re- equate to my privilege as a person, as an individual, how I interact with that system, how I benefit from that system and all of those different things. And so I think when you start to talk about like it in the context of a privilege awakening, it's understanding that like it's seeing like the strings of the system or like the interconnections, you mm-hmm. know, it's like seeing the matrix, right? Like we need to white privilege and our privilege awakening involves us becoming aware that the matrix exists yeah. in front of us. And then allowing us to choose how we start to interact with that system and use our privilege as as a tool to help create a better, more equitable system for everyone. I know that was like, was that too wordy? I feel like no. that was really long. No, I think, no, I think here's the problem. I don't think there is a good definition, right? And I think that's part of the issue. People don't fully understand because we don't have the language out there. And again, because we're not speaking about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it terrifies people to say all these words like, ooh, supremacy. Like, I'm not a white supremacist. It's like, nope, you might not think that you're a white supremacist, but you definitely have white privilege. Mm-hmm. And you definitely interact with and benefit from this white supremacist system around you. So like, let's start to see it for what it is and recognize that you have a choice in how you interact with it. Like your privilege is a tool. Why don't you use it really well? folks. And so like, I think then it triggers once like you have that, that, that that's kind of like part of the privilege awakening. It's seeing that there is a system, recognizing that you do benefit from it and participate in it. And then being like, holy shit, what do I do now? Yeah. And so like one of the conversations that I had with someone this week is she was a, a progressive, a socially progressive white woman. And she realized through all of this, who and she up until that up until this point in life she thought that she was a pretty woke gal and pretty um, up to speed on on privilege and understanding the system and all that sort of stuff and then here comes you know all of the the um, protesting and all of the like awakening that's coming collectively and she realized like holy shit I got checked very publicly on my emotions. Like, I don't know what to do with all of this. I realized that she, I think this woman, she's literally said to me, like, I didn't realize that I was so uneducated about all of this stuff. And as like a socially progressive liberal person, I didn't think that was possible. And so I think right now we're like everyone across the spectrum of white people, whether you're, you you consider yourself socially progressive and liberal or conservative and Republican, like it doesn't matter. All of us are having various awakenings happening within us and realizing 
that in some way, shape or form, either the system we're a part of and reinforce or our choices and actions that we have every day have had serious implications for Black people, Indigenous people, people of color Mm -hmm. um, for a very long period of time. And with that comes like all kinds of different emotions with it. It's a lot to process. It is a lot to process. And I, I sort of wonder, you know, when you think about like the stages of grief, which we talk a lot about in the trauma world, and we've talked a lot about this in our psychological first aid trainings, everyone is at a different stage of grief in this process and in this state of realization, right? So at first you might feel upset about it. You might feel a little sad. You might feel depressed about it and hopeless. You may also feel anger. You may feel rage. And those are cycles. So there are stages, but you can fluctuate back and forth. And so none of us are ever going to be on the same plane from one day to the next. And I think part of what we're saying is figuring out for each individual, how do you manage that knowing that on the day to day, you're going to shift in how you're feeling and what that means for how you engage with this process, this content, this information over time. Um, yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I think that, like, for I think for so many some people, people may mow their lawns. Some like that might be how they deal with this, right? And I'm really lucky in my privilege that I don't have to mow my own lawn. Um, and that's a fact. I re- like that's part of my privilege. Um, and but I think for people like once they start to like cycle through these stages of grief, right. They're having this privilege awakening. They immediately, like, I think our, our whiteness, like our, our need to problem solve and like figure things out. It like force it. Like we're jumping toward like, how do I find solutions? What do I need to do? Is there a checklist that I need to like check off of? Mm-hmm. You know, like, Oh look, I'm, I did all of these things. I'm no longer a racist. Yay me. you like, and then they start like reaching out to black friends and they're like, I want to process privilege with you. Ah, this is hard. And I get it. Like it's hard, but like we need to actually have really, I think part of what we've been talking about ourselves outside of the, just recording ourselves is that like, we need to collectively start to understand better coping mechanisms, better self-care measures, understanding where our emotions are and what are the, the right ways to go about processing emotion what are the bad ways in which we could really harm ourselves and Mm -hmm. other people, especially in these like highly traumatizing scenarios. Like, and the the fact that, you know, we're still in a global pandemic, all of the, the, um, the protesting and racial movement we're having in this country comes with a lot of trauma. Like there's, we need to kind of be on top of before we start to like that white privilege thing of like, I need a checklist. It's like, first, how do we actually emotionally navigate this? So we, protect our own emotional integrity and sanity and yeah. the emotional integrity and sanity of the the people around us, including, and most especially the, the black indigenous people of color around us as well. It's a lot. It is a lot. And it, it even feels overwhelming to talk about it. And, and I think one of the th- pieces that I try and grapple with every day is like, especially being a clinician making sure I'm holding that space for my clients so that there is support in holding that. And then what you and I were talking about, like having that open space to have those conversations, but also being conscious of that some people are not ready to have that conversation. And also it's not 
other people's jobs, maybe outside of a therapist, but it's not your friend's job to hold that space for you. No. And you might be unburdening your emotions upon them and re-traumatizing them in some other capacity, right? It's like this um, kind of understanding of how we pass trauma between each other and, um, you know, secondary trauma from exposure, you know, like all of those sorts of things that we talk about in our training. I was just, at, before you even said our training, I was thinking about something we often talk about is when you're a first responder or you're in a position of supporting others before you leave for the day, having like a support person to go to and talk to about things or just like jotting it down or having your own therapist, some kind of support with the caveat of you need to make sure that support person is in a place to hold those feelings for you as well. And I think that's one of the big struggles right now, right? People are asking, how can I help? What can I do? Tell me, tell me. But you're asking someone who is already having, you know, has ongoingly held a lot of these feelings and doesn't really have the space to hold yours as well or to try and make you feel better about it. Mm-hmm. But and so we're just creating like more cycles of trauma, basically, mm-hmm. and breaking down relationships when we have the opportunity to build up relationships. Mm hmm. And so I think like, even as we're talking about this, I'm like, man, self-care is super important right now. And like emotional well-being is like a mega priority for all of us as we navigate all of this. Like if like privilege awakening does not come, it should not come without like us all starting to have like active self-care plans and Mm -hmm. like managing our emotions really well and understanding what our personal boundaries are, navigating the boundaries and respecting the boundaries of other people and like learning to collectively build a, a, a a new kind of emotional system of wellness. Yes. Yes. You know, I always have an emotion. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Go for it. We don't have an emotional wellness system in this country, right? When I think of like our overall system of oppression, right? Like that white supremacy we were talking about, like that functions because there is no emotional wellness system in place. They've like degraded emotional wellness to the point where it can't participate in that system. Because, like, honestly, if we're all, like, emotionally well and respecting boundaries and, like, working together to, like, not be volcanoes and not shut down and, like, actually be dynamic, engaged, supportive people, like, that sort of wellness environment does not perpetuate a system of oppression, right? No, like you no can- it facilitates progressive impact. It does. And so, like, I think part of uh, white supremacy and this system of oppression we live in has squashed that for us. It's eliminated us strategically because, like, unwell, divided people can't work well to, to create something better. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, if I want to build a better system that can, I, where I can use my privilege to break down this existing system, if I want to create that system of wellness – and I want to prioritize connection, collaboration, emotional well-being, mental well-being. Like that is in direct opposition to white supremacy. And it's actually like mental health and well-being, emotional well-being is like super punk rock right now. Like it is very cult- counterculture. And like I kind of really dig this notion of like, fuck yeah, people, let's like gather the hell out of our emotional well-being and like 
start really digging into self-care, understanding boundaries, having these kinds of conversations, because like that is the, the best way for us to start breaking down a system is to build something new that can like overwhelm it with its sheer power, magnitude mm -hmm. and, and strength. And so like for me, emotional well-being is an anchor point to that new system. I can hear you processing. I am. I am. I'm, I think it all makes a lot of sense. And I'm also aware as I'm thinking about it that people are still in this processing stage. And so it's going to take time, I think, for people to see that. And especially with everything going on in the world to like, and, and in this country in particular, to buy into that right now, right? Oh, super fair. I realize that like I am talking pie in the sky dreams right now. Yeah. Like building yeah. a system of emotional wellness. Right. It's like, like sort of when you think when you when you do like mindfulness and you are asked to sort of like go to a safe space, that's what I imagine going to as this sort of like dreamland of where people are supportive of one another. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a dreamland though. No, no, it doesn't, but right, isn't that it's like Oh, yeah. Like, wouldn't that be like a dream? Right. I mean, like John Lennon literally saying about like this kind of dreamland decades ago, and we're all still like thinking it's some sort of magical mystery, yeah. you know, yeah. when the truth is all of us contribute to creating that in big and little ways and how we approach our own hearts and the hearts of other people and work together to build safety and kindness and respect, you know, like these are not. Yeah. Hard, these are hard. I guess they might be hard things, but like they're they're not overly complicated at the here's, end of the day. And here's the thing: it's hard, but it's necessary. Again, our goal is to hold the space, and so if if anyone ever wants to come on and talk with us, we really, really encourage that because part of the problem is we don't talk about these things. Now we're talking about it, and I think what you said, Kirsten, of your fear of and like the worst case scenario of in two to three weeks people burning out so that the conversation doesn't continue, this is the problem. When the conversations don't happen, fear builds, uncertainty builds, anxiety builds, and you know that rage sort of blows up and escalates. If we can all find ways to open the conversation and sit with that discomfort, then that doesn't die off. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Absolutely. rather than having these peaks and valleys, let's keep it stagnant and let's continue to have the conversations and then build up. Mm -hmm. So where do people start then, Sam? I think that for me, the first thing I think about is everyone needs time to process in whatever way you see fit, right? Again, my thought is, it's not my job to judge that someone isn't speaking up over social media because I don't know if they're having difficult conversations with their family or if they're having, uh, if they're intervening when they see someone saying something that could be considered a microaggression or maybe they're donating to, you know, the Minnesota bail fund or some of these other funds that are out there. Or maybe they've gone on Amazon and bought every single book recommended to them because they're still in that phase, that initial phase. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, we should come up with phases of privilege awakening, right? Because I do think Ooh. it's phases. Ooh, oh my God. Are we creating a whole new thing here? I think we are because, because I'm just thinking, right? The first phase is like even recognizing it. The second phase is like getting to a point where you can even sit with that feeling. And then the third phase is maybe trying to learn a little bit more. 
like the action phase is sort of the last one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that some people take action in different ways, right? So, you know, I was telling you early this morning when I can't sleep at night, one of the ways that I take action is I'm like living out my fantasies of being Nancy Drew and like researching and finding protests that are um, being replicated and seeming like they're part of the Black Lives Matter movement, but are in fact created by white supremacists. So it's the same date, the same time as like a white supremacy meetup. And I'm like reporting it, messaging people who had responded to it and trying to intervene in that way. Which I think is amazing. So like like thinking about that, you know, everyone has to do, for me, that's like the action I can take right now. I also am donating, but like, am I putting it on Facebook that I donated? No, because I don't want credit for that. And that feels like it's detracting from the purpose. But I'm also not going to judge if other people say I have to educate myself right now. Or some other person says, well, my family uses really derogatory language and that's going to be how I intervene right now. Or the people who are going out and protesting or people who do choose to post on social media. Everyone is finding their own way of being part of this revolution of change. And so I think if I if I have to go to like what the first step is, it's we have to be kind to ourselves and other people because if we're all trying to fight and push forward in this movement, we have to be kind. Absolutely. Well, I think you're bringing up something around judgment, right? Like there's a lot of, of especially as people are having their privilege awakening, they're being like, this is the only way forward. You have to yeah. be angry. You have to be out there, like all of these sorts of things. And if you're not doing that, then you're a racist. And um, that's, that's uh, well, it's hard. Like that's harsh language, but it's also like unfair because people do manifest action in yeah. different ways to support all of this. It's kind of like, you know, when you talk about like different personalities and strengths and, you know, we always talk about that in like the corporate world of like, understanding how you work and navigate the world like everybody like shows up to support a revolution in lots of different ways and if we all showed up in the exact same way we would actually lose our impact in lots of other ways that are creating the actual Mm -hmm. tangible impact of a revolution like I know for myself you know, I um, I have a blood disorder. So for me, um, being out in while well, there's a global pandemic happening in large groups of people is just not a good idea. And so because um, the last thing I need is to get COVID-19. Um, and so for me, it's around how do I have the biggest return on my time of, and in monetary investment right now? Like, where do I put my energy toward um, that will have the greatest impact for the revolution, for the movement, for advocating for people, you know, like facilitating conversation. Yes. And so like, I know for me, I have to take a step back and being like, what is the best use of, of my privilege? And how can I use that as like the, the sh- white, like this power, this powerful tool, this like white privilege tool that we talked about in the first episode to like actually wield change and like try to move the needle forward in my own ways that resonate Mm -hmm. with me and my skills. And so it's hard though, because I think people want like, especially, especially as people are awakening to their privilege, it's really easy to say that there's only one right way to go about doing all of this. When in fact there's millions of different ways and it just has to be about like, how are you best utilizing 
the tools you have to make the world a better place around you? And, and are you getting the return on that for your tools? Yeah. And if you're not sure about them, rather than putting it on other people to teach you or, or show you the way, being open yourself to figuring that out and then finding ways to process while taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and we off, I mean, I know for us, like we talk about our training and stuff like that. We've, we're constantly trying to think about ways that we can support people right now, because this is a lot for people to go through. I mean, we have a global pandemic with a lot of people dying globally, a lot of people dying in the U.S., right? And then you compound all of that with um, a racial revolution, which is absolutely critical and necessary. And so like all of these things are happening together at the same time. And so there's a lot of, a lot of emotion, a lot of processing a lot of burnout, a lot mm-hmm. of just like, like almost like manic approach to trying to, to, to make the world better when you can't, when you, when it's clearly not better right now yet. And, it, and I, you know, this is just the beginning, right? You and I have talked mm-hmm. about this. Um, this is just the beginning. So how do you make sure that you're giving space to keep that fight going when we know it's going to be a lengthy one. Absolutely. I mean, like self-care, right? Mm-hmm. Like self-care, self-care, self-care planning people. Like It sounds so cliche, but the, but the oxygen mask, and I know you're a metaphor girl, uh, the <laughs> oxygen mask metaphor of you need to put it on yourself first before you take care of other people, to me, is so crucial in this instance. Oh, yeah. I mean, it always amazes me. Like, actual professional responders are not even told that they have to take care of themselves in order to best take care of other people. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we culturally, we're like, I think maybe this, it's American for sure. It's probably part of, like, our global white supremacy system. But if, like, you work hard enough, you get results kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, Right. Like just work hard enough. Just keep going, keep doing and you're going to see the results. Right. Like keep pushing through. And in reality, when you talk about like these big like social structures that we're looking to change and any sort of like traumatic environment or crisis situation, like the the most important thing you can do is to take care of yourself first. Like Get yourself shored up so that you are capable of having the emotional and physical and mental bandwidth to sustain a long-term progressive, like progressive change cycle, basically. Right. Like take care of yourself first because sure, then, because no, go well, ahead. Who, who, you know, just like what we teach our first responders, essentially every person is a first responder right now. Right. Oh, if, yeah, if you are on the side of this revolution and making a change, you are a first responder. And so you have to take care of yourself because you are going to get compassion fatigue. You are going to get experience burnout. So what do you recommend when those to prevent those things? Some sort of self-care plan. It's actually not very complicated, is it? Self-care is not complicated. It's hard sometimes to look like at some of this stuff, but it's not complicated. Sure. And I think there is a level of, like we talked about in our last episode, right? This like guilt of, oh, should I be doing that? Yes, absolutely. Because otherwise, how can you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, there's also this, like, the, the Black women, the Black men, the Black kids of the world need to have strong self-care plans right now and active self-care planning. And, and so that, like, this, not only can you 
tackle the revolution that's happening, but also like processing all of the the experiences and the inherited trauma and all of that sort of stuff, right? Like it's a lot. And I would like same for all of the the white people having their privilege awakening, right? Like you also need to have a strong self care plan in place. Otherwise, you're going to be like this raging volcano or like weeping in a corner, and like that's not helpful to anyone. Or like emotionally vomiting on the black friends in your life like none of those things are acceptable and so like the front line of like and our initial response to all of this as white people and having this privilege awakening needs to be how do i care for my own emotions and process my own emotions and build up a, a, an action plan that helps myself in order to be the most helpful toward facilitating mm-hmm. this racial revolution i'm a part of like that's what people need to be focused on right now. Yeah. And like, then from there, you can actually be a really fucking awesome ally and advocate. You can start to learn and grow, right? Like you can start the reading things. You have the emotional bandwidth to actually read and un- comprehend and understand the information you're digesting. Like you talked about like lots of people are like ordering books right now. They're like going to read through those books at like rapid pace and like onto the next book and then like try yeah, to activate. And then- and then also, like, are you really taking in that information? Of course they aren't. Of course. It's not possible if you're not actively having a strong self-care plan in place to be able to have this emotional and mental bandwidth to process, right? And like, also, here, and here's the thing, like, it is also normal to have that push, right? Like, the first day this happened, I went online and, like, researched Black-owned bookstores and started buying children's books for my child, Mm-hmm. Because I had this fear cool. of like, I cannot perpetuate this any longer. We need to do something right now. Also, at the same time, you have to take a step back and say, okay, like, what is part of my learning plan? What is something I need to do? How do I best need to intervene for myself? How do I show care and compassion to myself and to other people during this extremely difficult period of time? Mm-hmm when everybody is experiencing large amounts of trauma and specific groups of people like black people are processing an even larger volume of Mm -hmm. trauma than we as white people can understand or comprehend. Sure. Because this has been ongoing for 400 plus years. Yeah. So it's not only holding on to that intergenerational transmission of trauma, and the the systematic oppression and racism they've gone through essentially since they've been born. But now we have this trauma of, well, here is how people are responding when you're fighting and you're standing up. And your voice has not been heard for, mm-hmm. you know, this entire time. And you've been invalidated at every point along the way. You know, like I talk a lot like and right now there's a lot of talk about like empathy and everything like that. And like. Um, as white people, we are not capable of empathizing no. with the experiences of black people. It's just, it's a fact. And so what I really want p- to encourage people to do is just to stop, to put down the empathy word in your mind and to lean into the compassion word, because empathy means that you felt like are understanding and connecting to and like pulling that into your own experience. And that's not, that's not possible. And so, but if you lean into compassion, it's having, it's, it's, honoring and recognizing the experiences of others and and have and respecting healthy boundaries but also like understanding that it's not possible for you to understand that and you need to find other ways to activate and support mm-hmm. and like m- like 
plug in in a way that like supports a collective respect for trauma, I guess. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. Because there's a, just sometimes there's a lot of words that come out of me and I'm not always sure if they make sense. No, I think it makes sense. Well, I guess we'll find out when we post we'll this. We'll find it out. Sense. We'll find out. People be like, Keeks, you are way off your rocker on this. Or like, you are batshit crazy and make no sense. I mean, Which or t- you're just tell wrong. us. Tell us or come talk to us. Like, we want this to be an open space where we can disagree and we can talk about it from a place of compassion and kindness. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you're bringing up a really good point. Like, I'm not perfect. I'm nowhere near perfect. And I make mistakes all the time. And I challenge myself on my own privilege every day. Like we were, you know, this training that we keep bringing up that we were supposed to have today, like one person showing up before all of that, I was getting ready for my day. Right. And I initially, I thought to myself, like, I should wear something really neutral because I don't want to trigger anyone's emotions during this training. And then I like, checked myself because I was like, Kiki, you are an, a, a like you are a proud ally, a proud advocate. And like right now is not the time for you to like lean into neutral clothing. Like, so I'm literally wearing, like, I, I love confrontational t-shirts, things that like have sayings on them that like make people think or perhaps like challenge their own privilege. And so, um, you know, I advocate for breaking down systems of oppression I have for a long time. And so I have a, a t-shirt that says decolonizer on it. And so like, for me, I put that t-shirt on. I was like, okay, great. So we're going to challenge people. And I put my hair in a bun so that pe- everyone could read it. So my long hair wouldn't get in the you way. You could see it as soon as she logged on. <laughs> right. And so like, for me, that was my way of like, I still every day when like, how do I make everyone comfortable? Right. Like, I think that's the like the Midwestern white girl in me. Like, yeah. let's make everyone smile and happy and comfortable, right? So I had to be like challenging that garbage because right now that is not helpful. There are times to make everyone feel safe and comfortable and there are times to say, no, you need to look at why you need to stay comfortable in the first place. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we're all not perfect. We all do different no, things. No, I knows we make you. mistakes. So should we like, so I feel like, to sort of sum up what we what our hope or takeaway today is, right? Mm-hmm. I see three things, but I could also be missing something. So you okay, jump go into for it. I love it. So being able to hold space for yourself to process whatever feelings you're having and figuring out what the best next step is for you, coming from a place of compassion and kindness towards people who may not be at the same stage or level that you are in your privilege awakening. And to also be thinking about how you take care of yourself and encourage others to do the same because this is a long battle and we want you to all be a part of it in the best way you can. This will never be comfortable. It's not supposed to be. And at the same time, each of us is going to have a different way. We see ourselves fitting into this. I think those are great. I think that's really great. I mean, I'm, I'm also going to start keep fully advocating for, you know, creating a new system of love, respect, collaboration, and kindness through emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. But, and hopefully hopefully people join me. It's not just like a party of one anymore. It could be a party of two. I'm, I'm in on that. Okay, cool. Yay. Party of two. 
I love it. So, okay, as we wrap up this, our episode two, um, we encourage, like Sam said, like we want lots of people to participate in this dialogue. Yeah. Um, we, if you want to like come on and have these kinds of conversations with us, we would love to have guests. Um, yes, we already had someone that wants to be a guest. We're super excited. It folks, it's a white male. So get ready to unpack white male privilege, um, which is so exciting and terrifying at the same time. (laughs) Um, and also we want, if you're like thinking we are fully off base or like have feedback for us. Like tell us because mm-hmm. we're I, we're open to dialogue on all of this, and some people might, might not agree with us, and we want to welcome other perspectives in all of this. And we're and, also at stages of our own privileged awakening, and so I think we're also figuring out for ourselves what is kind of going on and and what what we should be doing or or what we can be doing. Well, and I think sometimes like there's been people circulating like that we. Um, uh, like advocacy and being an ally is a spectrum. And I do agree with that, but also like you don't reach an end point. Like this isn't a checklist folks. Like you don't just be like, Oh yeah, I got all of these things checked off of my allyship list. I'm done now. Like, no. Um, So even for people like me and Sam who are constantly trying to evolve and get better in this space, we're always learning too. And so Mm -hmm. um, whether you're just beginning your privilege awakening or you are, um, realizing that you're nowhere near where you thought you were, or you're, you know, have been advocating for years and being an ally for years and are looking to grow and evolve in that as well. Like all people are welcome here. All perspectives are welcome here. And so um, this is a safe space for all of us to connect and share and collaborate mm-hmm. and process how we actually approach being better allies and advocates in this world and start to use our privilege and understand our privilege and white supremacy in a much more productive yeah. way. Yeah. Okay. With that. Okay. So Sam, any final thoughts? Want to wish everybody well? Of course, as always. I mean, but I echo what Kirsten is saying and feel free to reach out to us and also feel free to reach out to us if you're like, I'm overwhelmed and I need help coming up with the self-care plan. Yeah. I mean, we've been, especially with all the COVID-19 stuff, we've been actively creating different ways to start tackling all of this for folks. Um, So we're here to help. But um, with that, Uh, We send you much love, much gratitude, um, much kindness. We hope that today you can at least spend at least one minute just breathing Mm -hmm. and finding ways to anchor into your own body and your own emotions. Um, And from there, from that clarity, you're able to find a little bit more strength and fortitude to make it through the long haul that is this racial revolution Mm -hmm. of the U.S. So stay tuned next time for our next episode, folks. And um, with that, have a great day. See you later. Where did you go, my pretty little girl? A bit up on the mountain, been around the world. You turned my heart, sand into a pearl. Little girl, where did you go?